Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm Dr. Richard Bolzakelli, lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy, in for Jason Gale. And I'm joined this week by Tyler Ross, who took his licentiate in canon law at the Catholic University of America and is currently a practicing canon lawyer for the Diocese of Knoxville in Tennessee. In our earlier podcast, we discussed the minor orders, considering their place in the broader tradition of the apostolic churches. Today, we turn our attention to the question of whatever became of them in the Latin Rite, starting with Pope Paul VI Motu Proprio of 1 January 1973, Ministeria Quaedam, in which he formally suppressed them. Now, before we get started, don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and select notifications. And of course, share this content with your friends. Now, Tyler, um, kind of reorienting ourselves uh, from the discussion we previously had. So where were we? We had these um, these minor orders, and they went yeah. back to the to the early church, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. We have a letter from two fifty two. So we're surmising that they exist before that. Really, probably. I mean, to say the early church, right, is is probably uh, less emphatic even than we really want to be. I think we, it, to, to yeah. those who understand the distinction, I, I would argue uh, the primitive church, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is really the church prior even to the, the first council of Nicaea, for sure, for sure. Oh, way, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, and really into the, probably more or less the immediate post-apostolic period. Right. I would say, I, I think you put it, if you were to, you know, throw your dart at a, and make a guess, what do you say, around 150? Yeah, that's about what I estimate. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so certainly maybe the generation, maybe two generations after the apostolic fathers. So what would that be, four generations, three generations after the apostles themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's super early, super three, early. Yeah. So um, anyway, so... So here we are, 1973, and Pope Paul VI issues a motu proprio, Ministerium Quadum, mm -hmm. in which he suppresses the minor orders. I mean, if you're if you're sort of on the tratty side of things here, you're like, dude, wh why did you do that? Where does that come from? Yeah. First, you had all these orders. You remember what they were? They were like porter. Yep. Um, porter, and, lector, acolyte, or exorcist, acolyte subdeacon right okay a bunch of these things right and and uh and now all of a sudden there's no subdeacon and there's no porter uh there's there's um there's no exorcist anymore um i mean there are still like exorcists but that's right. a different matter right yeah, yeah. um no that's one's fulfilling thing. the role of the minor order exorcist anymore. right there's no that doesn't exist anymore yeah. Well, and really, we'll, maybe we can get into this in a second, but uh, Lecter and Acolyte really no longer exist either. It's really only the subdeacon that persists, but divided into two new things. That's, that's kind of right. Okay, so yeah, so the, um, it's very, very interesting, right? Because I think what most people um, imagine when they think of what happened in 1973 is that what Paul VI 
did was he disestablished the minor orders and in their place established what most of us experience when we go to mass today mm-hmm. in uh, a Novus Ordo parish. And we have, we have the, the reader mm-hmm. reading the, the reading the um the old testament passage the new testament passage the, the, the psalms. Reading psalm the yeah second reading yeah and on the other hand the altar server yes right yep um but that's not really what happened at all actually is it yeah when we, when we look at the actual text that's really not what he did right yeah yeah so you're you're uh bringing out maybe a a disconnect or a, um, some kind of distinction between like, what do we actually read from Paul the sixth and, and how did he envision this going? Mm-hmm. And then what is the sort of praxis that yeah, what's actually now? happening in our mass? Yeah, what's actually. Now, yeah, yeah. And is it even, is it the same thing? Like, okay, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll ask this question. Um, was this motu proprio in fact applied? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your, your answer to that question would be, what, what would you say? Um, I would say mostly no. Um, and, and my reason for that would be, so if, if we look into the, into the document itself, I'll pull it up here. Um, he goes into various um, requirements for, how to uh, become an acolyte, uh, uh, how to uh, become a lector, right? Um, so there, maybe we can get into them if you'd like, but they're, they're pretty, it's a pretty high bar. Um, yeah, I, I think we should talk about that. But okay. let's summarize first. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, basically there's like a vetting process, right? Like there's formal training required to to do these things more so than just um hey can you read yes okay come to the ambo or more more than just sign up here's how you here's when to bring the right things at the right time Mm -hmm. um which is good and like obviously we need people to 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 know capable of doing that um but the you know the the bar is higher in, in Paul the sixth mind. Um, so yeah. So for that reason, I would say, no, um, it hasn't been applied yet. Um, in that sense, uh, in another sense, and I, I think we can talk about this too, is when we think about, okay, now that he's, uh, suppressing the minor orders, um, and we didn't mention this yet, but he, he says in this document, they're no longer called minor orders. Um, they're called ministries. So he's changing the name, uh, which signifies a kind of change in what they are. And he's saying no longer do we refer to uh, um, their institution as um, ordination. They are uh, installed. They're, they're installed as a lector and, uh, and or acolyte. So there's a change of the language that's going on here, yeah. uh, right. which, so, which signifies like a deeper change in like what actually are these things here? 
Well, certainly he's certainly, I think from a canonical point of view, correct me if I'm wrong here, mm. like leaving aside, leaving aside the dogmatic question of, um, of, of whether or, and to what extent, like what exactly is any ontological signification, right? In other words, yeah. what in the order of being, is there any difference? I think it's an open question. It's a wide open question, right? Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. certainly it isn't, even the minor orders were not the major orders, right? So whatever that is, that's not what's going on here. It never yeah. was. Um, whether there is then some difference in the the sort of the grace delivery system or something, right? Right, right, uh, right. Because if, if our listeners will recall last time, we did really kind of heavily push this idea that the mi- that in the minor orders, there's the connection with the, the sacrament of orders in the deacon um, that, you know, it's, we would rather have the uh, exorcist yeah. praying the deliverance prayers than the, than your buddy. Um, that there is some kind of like uh, elevating of the minor orders to something in between lay person and sacrament. Yeah. What so that I looks like, so- I don't know. We don't know. That's the, right. the church hasn't had any theology on that. Right. There's no theology on that, really. So, um, so it's a wide. Open we're just question. here to speculate. <laughs> yeah, it's a wide open question. So I, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to. I don't want to say too much. Yeah. As if to give the impression that I have an answer, right? That that, right. that like the church teaches. The church doesn't teach really about. Yeah. Exactly what that is, but. Yeah. Um, but. But we can have our uh, opinions. We can have our opinions, yeah. within certain boundaries, obviously, right? right? Yep. They're not yep. major orders. They're not major orders. They're not yeah. a sacrament. Yep. Right. Yep. So, um, so, but I'm interested in the canonical question, which I think is something we can definitely say something about. Mm-hmm. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that one of the major points here canonically is that uh, these people just aren't to be regarded as being in the clerical state. And, and by this, phrase clerical state here i'm not referring to the ontological issue of having major orders yeah i'm talking about the juridical thing right that juridical reality of of being in a certain relationship with the church that you have certain rights within your ministry right so yeah you you are right um and i know this not necessarily because i'm a canon lawyer but he actually just straight up says it in this document uh he says and I quote, only those who have received the diaconate, however, will be clerics in the true sense and will be so regarded. And then further down, he says, first tonsure is no longer conferred. We talked about that a little bit last time. Entrance into the clerical state is joined to the diaconate. What up to now were called minor orders are henceforth to be called ministries. Ministries may be assigned to lay Christians, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's a little bit of context, but yeah. So the clerical state, has become disattached for or detached from um, these minor orders or ministries, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, wherever you are in history and is now joined to the diaconate. Right. Um, that's also in the code of canon law now. In yeah. So, so actually this does introduce interestingly a, a kind of imprecision too canonically, right? Because, because um, people in religious vows are not they're not really regarded as lay people but according yeah. to this motu proprio and canon law neither are they clerics again 
Right. Again, um, so the listener is very clear about this, right? There are two distinct things here. One is being a cleric, which is a juridical yep. relationship to the church. Yep. And the other is being in major orders, yep. right? Which is a sacramental. sacramental. Right. Okay. Yep. So, so today in the language of canon law, the two are connected to each other. Yeah. That there, connection is yeah. itself a juridical determination by the yeah. Pope. Yeah. But so rather than uh, rather than an indelible um, connection, right? It's not right. it's not de fide that those two things are connected that way. Right. Um, right. But like they the are deacon, connected. The deacon has no, uh, you know, sort of natural, like sacramental right to remuneration, for example. Um, he does right. canonically speaking that's in the current code of canon law that the deacon has a right to remuneration from the church but it not it does not need be so right so we could so, say entrance to the clerical state uh is at priesthood um you know and maybe right. and the church, maybe on some define, level the, church could, the church could define um religious sisters right yeah. as clerics in this juridical sense yes Right. You know what I'm saying? That they have they have certain rights. Once yep. they take final vows, they can't yep. just be kicked out on the street without cause. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, anyway, so that's I just want to be clear, there is this distinction and yep. and it, it may be sort of um, it may be sort of talking shop a bit, but it's an important distinction because it, it does actually come up. Yeah. In this motu proprio. Yeah. Um, well, that being said, though, there there has never been a um, disassociation between clerics and orders uh, or, or like the sacrament of orders. Right. Like even yeah, though, it's never been the case that people in orders are not regarded as clerics unless they've been defrocked or something. Yes. And the point I'm making is that it's never been the case that those who were regarded as clerics have not been in some kind of orders or uh, seen as connected in some way to the actual sacrament of holy orders. That is to say, only those who have been in major orders and minor orders have ever been regarded as clerics. Uh, <clears throat> That's just a point of okay. history, more so. Yeah. Than okay. So yeah. So it's it's an interesting thing, but the you know so it's but it's a the being a cleric is a juridical thing rather than uh, a, a sacramental thing. Yeah. Now the um, so, so let me let me ask um, let me ask. We, so we said, did, was this ever applied? Was the motu proprio ever actually applied? Well, the answer to that question, I guess, is partly yes, partly no. Practically speaking, for from our perspective today, um, no, in the most important way, probably right. Yes, in the sense that um, you, we no longer have the minor orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, that's the way in which it has been applied. He successfully suppressed the minor orders. Yeah, they yeah. just don't. They don't exist anymore in the Latin yeah. right now. Um, but on the other hand, we never did get, to my yeah. knowledge, anywhere. Uh, not in my experience in yeah. the Catholic Church of the United States. We never did get the acolytes and lectors right. that he attempted to establish in that motu proprio. That never now, came. Outside of 
um, seminaries, right? So in the seminaries, they do actually institute seminarians as electors and acolytes. Um, but I'm not aware of any of, of, any, of that happening to just your, you know, average me and you kind of layman. Yeah. I mean, who knows, right? It's a big church, but sure. like yeah. maybe some bishop, maybe some bishop created a, a an acolyte somewhere along the lines. Yeah. But I, I never met the guy. Yeah. Right. I mean, like what we have today are altar servers and, and really readers. Readers. But they are not lectors and acolytes in the way that they're defined in the document. In, in the technical sense, right. They, right. So we, I would say they perform the exact same functions as a lector well, and acolyte. Some of them, some of the functions, not all, right? Because right. if you look at the motu proprio, the, the functions associated with the lector, that the, the, the lector as he's defining it as a ministry here, mm -hmm. right? Includes the uh, includes certain catechetical functions. Yeah. Um, and and the 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 um, and I would say that the acolyte right includes more than just altar serving, but really, I would say extends into the function of sacristan. Yeah. Um, he is master also of ceremonies. Uh, extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, or, or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion for sure. Now. Yeah, right. So let you've got the document in, in front of you. Why don't you um, why don't you tell us what he actually says when he defines these ministries? Yeah, so there, it's kind of split up a little bit. Um, so I'll start here, uh, quoting: "The reader is appointed for a function proper to him." that of reading the word of God in the liturgical assembly. Accordingly, he is to proclaim the readings from sacred scripture, except for the gospel in the mass and other celebrations. He is to recite the psalm between the readings when there is no psalmist. He is to present the intentions for the general intercessions in the absence of a deacon or cantor. He is to direct the singing and the participation by the faithful. So he's also got a, a cantor role. He is to instruct the faithful for the worthy reception of the sacraments. He may also, insofar as may be necessary, take care of preparing other faithful who are appointed on a temporary basis to read the scriptures in the liturgical celebrations. That he may more fittingly and perfectly fulfill these functions, he is to meditate assiduously on sacred scripture. So those are all the tasks appointed to the lector. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, if you think about this, right, actually, if our lay ministers in the church were, were prepared and devoted in the way that this motu proprio envisions, um, the, the, general, the, the general spiritual climate at our parishes would probably be significantly better than they yeah. are now. yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about the requirements? I got them pulled up. Yeah. Okay. It says the following are requirements for admission to the ministries. Mm -hmm. The presentation of a petition that has been freely made out and signed by the aspirant to the ordinary, that is the bishop and in clerical institutes the major superior who has the right to accept the petition. A suitable age and special qualities to be determined by the conference of bishops. 
a firm will to give faithful service to God and the Christian people. The ministries are conferred by the ordinary through the liturgical rite, de institutione lectoris and de institutione acoliti, as revised by the uh, as revised by the apostolic see. An interval determined by the Holy See or the conferences of bishops shall be observed between the conferring of the ministries of reader and acolyte whenever more than one ministry is conferred on the same person. Um, let's see, skipping down. Um, candidates for ordination uh, for, as deacons and priests are to receive these ministries and exercise them for suitable time. Um, do, 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 the conferring, here's your point from earlier, the conferring of ministries does not bring with it the right to support or remuneration from the church. So, and then um, they do have special uh, uh, rites, uh, uh, ceremonies, maybe you call them for each institution. Um, so there are, these are developed out there. Right, right. Right. So it's a lot. I mean, that's like, you know, you, it, you have to like discern to do this and the bishop specifically, um, not just your parish priest, but like the bishop has, has done this, like he's approved you, uh, and, and given you this ministry, um, and vetted you that kind of thing. The conference of bishops is supposed to have, um, what did it say? Like special requirements or, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, it, special if, if qualities you, determined by the conference of bishops. So look at what it says about the altar, right? Or the, the, about the accolade. He says, um, uh, as one set aside in a special way for the service of the altar, the accolade should learn all matters concerning public divine worship and strive to grasp their inner spiritual meaning. In that way, you'll be able uh, he will be able each day to offer himself entirely to God, be an example to all by his gravity and reverence in church, and have a sincere love for the mystical body of Christ, the people of God, especially for the weak and sick. In accordance with the ancient tradition of the church institution to the ministries uh, of the reader, uh, an acolyte is reserved to men. Now that's that's something that we're next time we talk we're gonna we're gonna right we're that's gonna the thing that changed actually that this has now changed yeah but um, but in any case the the picture here is is a pretty robust uh, the picture of a pretty robust ministry with dedication and preparation right that yeah yeah I think if we saw this in our churches uh, it would be pretty impressive and yeah. Even though they're they're um, they're lay people, you could definitely see right how um, how vocations could be generated here. Oh yeah, uh, some people... I mean that's it's explicit pretty much in there. I, I guess it's it's <laughs> maybe that's not fair. It's as implicit as it could be without being explicit. You that... might even say like even if now I, I think though that there's there is this idea. You know, we often think of. Um, particularly altar servers, we think of them as children. Yeah. Right. We tend to think yeah. of them as um, often like little children. And, yeah. and in the like most reverent school, parishes, yeah. they continue through high school. Yeah. And maybe even come back from college. But for the most part, 
with few exceptions. Um, once you reach adulthood, you don't exercise these ministries anymore. At least that's the common practice in your typical Novus Ordo um, Catholic parish in the United States. Yeah. But that's certainly not what's envisioned here, I, I would say, right? It seems to right. me that that um, that these ministries, these are long-standing kind of ministries, right? Yeah. You're installed. Yeah. And um, while you don't enjoy uh, rights with respect to this ministry, nonetheless, right, you are someone who's made a commitment. You've, you study, right? Um, you're kind of a, I don't want to use the word professional, but you know, for your, yeah. you're not a, you're not just an amateur here, right? Right. right. You're um, not just some dude uh, picked out, you know, because father saw you before mass started and needs needed somebody to read. Nor because uh, he wanted to sign a bunch of people up for min for ministries because everybody's got to play some part, right? That's yeah. not yeah. what's being envisioned here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right, and when we talk too, I mean, if I can just make this point, when we talk about like what does the church look like post Vatican II, there's kind of like two answers to that in some ways for a lot of things, but this would be one of them. You know, what does the church look like post Vatican II? Well, we can answer with uh, like the what happened, right? Like what if you just go to a parish, like what what is happening? Um, and then we talk about like ha has that actually been implemented? Yeah. Um, and where I would just say on, on this particular point, yes, but mostly no. Um, like I don't think we've experienced the fullness of what uh, you know the Holy Father Saint. Pope Paul VI had in mind um, when he decided to do this. Yeah, right. So I want to, so let, let's think about why did he do it, right? Why did he do it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I know like the typical answer is going to be, um, you know, your, 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 your sort of go-to answer if you aren't happy with the way things are in the church right now, right? He's probably to assume that it's all part of the great conspiracy to undermine tradition. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you know that I, I actually have a different view of why he did this, right? Right. So <laughs> I, I mean, think that's why we're here. We're, we're here to like, right. we're here to like cut through the politics. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think he did it because in fact, he says it explicitly in the motu proprio. Yeah. That he wants to, um, he wants to, to overcome any confusion that arises between the clerical and lay states. Yes. And his view was that uh, under the current circumstances in the church, the presence of, um, of these um, minor orders tended to obscure the distinction between, yeah. between the ordained ministry of the major orders and lay people and the lay people and and more so than that he's also saying that uh some of some of the functions in these minor orders were obsolete um at least that's the that's the english word that he uses or that is translated here what is obsolete yeah. in these offices will thus be removed and what is useful retained so he's just right. responding to uh uh the reality of the situation um you know right. it, it may be the case that 
these, you know, five minor orders have been present since the, the very beginning of the Latin church. Um, and that's great. And like, is that a good reason to keep them around? Yeah. But is that a sufficient reason to not do anything? Eh, maybe not, because we also have all of these other uh, Eastern churches that yeah. enumerate the minor orders completely differently. So now you might say this. OK, so I'll, let me take the other side, the other the other side of this argument for a second. You yeah. might say, dude, if it, it, these orders have been part of the church for so long and now all yeah. of a sudden, look, you have this liturgy that no longer makes use of them that's the reason they're now obsolete um maybe there's something wrong with your liturgy hmm. right that, that would be the other thing because let's face it right this this motu proprio comes along three years after the introduction of the novus ordo right right that's the revised for anyone who doesn't know that's the revised liturgy right yeah. after the second vatican council yeah so um there were changes made in that liturgy that essentially did away with the functions of the minor orders. That's why you don't need them anymore. And, um, and so a person could turn the tables on this, uh, on this, on, on the position, right. And say, yeah, uh, that's the problem with the liturgy, not with the orders, not with the minor orders. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, there's a lot I could say about that. Um, I would want to make the observation, though, that he it, it or maybe another distinction. It would be one thing to uh, reorder the minor orders. Right. Um, name them, maybe different things and, and give them, uh, you know, mix around the duties for for the new oh. ones that we're doing. Um, but it's another thing to actually like completely uh suppress them and then create something new uh and integrate some of the functions that were there into these new things and actually they happen to have uh the same names as two of the minor orders even though they're not minor orders and have different functions um so just making that observation i would say it i i would disagree with you that it's a problem in the liturgy um, because I think he could have changed them or he could have kept them as minor orders, properly speaking. Um, and it wouldn't have made a difference in the liturgy, practically speaking. Yeah, well, so that's true, right? He could have the the acolyte and the lector could still be minor orders. Yes. Right. Yeah. But it would still remain that. Um, that the 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 like you no longer need apparently a subdeacon, you no longer need apparently an exorcist, you no longer, right? So like yeah, what, I mean, when, even when you get into the conversation about like is to what extent is the liturgy uh, a factor here? You yeah. only have the acolyte and the subdeacon as liturgical minor orders in the first place, and right? Right. Those right. So that's the reply, really. Yeah, that, that's the reply is that is that the the structure, those other minor orders actually um, weren't at this point, even before the even before the reform. Right. They, they were in disuse, at least as far as uh, as far as the liturgy goes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, they had no function at the liturgy. Were they 
and this is where the my knowledge of history just breaks down but i don't know i don't think that they were uh active you know uh, on the altar were they vested in catholic and surplus probably but were they were they doing much of anything maybe bringing candles in or something you know but probably not much so yeah so the um and we talked about like what what the, where the porter concept probably came from, right? In the in the early yeah. church, the yeah. guy who, you know, the guy who sort of ushers in and out the people who are allowed to stay or have to go at various times in the liturgy, right? Yeah. So um, that function ceased to be of any relevance after a after a certain point in the history of the church. Right. Right. And, and that's, I think, where we can, where we can say, like, this is, a, it, it's okay to um, have a prudential judgment that certain minor orders not be a thing anymore, you know, like, yeah, they're the not really churches either. have done this all the time. Um, the, you know, did the Latin church preserve a venerable tradition? Yeah, great. Um, but is the venerable tradition this precise numeration of the minor orders, or is the yeah, venerable probably not the existence of the minor orders right. in general? Yeah, I um, think more like the existence of the minor orders in general. So I think right. one could, I think one could um, argue that suppressing the minor orders in principle is maybe a bridge further than we want to go, but altering what minor orders there are what particular ministries these encompass yeah. uh isn't really off limits and in fact we know that we know that in other um christian traditions they they are enumerated differently anyway yeah then they're enumerated that way from antiquity you know it's not like there was ever a tradition of like everyone having the same minor orders and then some churches losing some of them some of them retaining some and whatever all of that would be so, okay, I want to ask the, or, or pose the question, um, is there a difference between the ministries of Lecter and Acolyte uh, and the minor orders, uh, more so than the functional difference? Um, put it another way, keeping in mind that relation between uh, minor orders and major orders, that sort of participation theology maybe that we can talk about does does a minor order participate in the diaconate um did doing away with minor orders and replacing them with ministries uh do away with that tie well i think we're gonna i don't i don't know i think one thing that it does is it does tend to interrupt the continuity of flow that historically had been associated with the minor orders. So, um, so in any, in any case, the, uh, if we think about the, the path to the priesthood, right. Think about in the last, the last podcast, we talked about how practically speaking people became priests in, uh, in, in the, uh, in the ancient church, right? Yeah. And, and really, 
it wasn't like they went to the bishop and were like, I think I want to be a priest the way they do now, right? I'm, I'm thinking about it. Let me explore. It wasn't yeah. like that. That's yeah. a very sort of contemporary Western, you know, right. um, sort of uh, self-discovery kind of approach to vocational discernment. It was really more, if you look at Augustine, Augustine didn't want to be a priest. Yeah. They up and made the dude a priest, right? Yeah. They just, they decided that he was going to be a priest. And I think this is exactly um, the kind of way that things happen. So, you know, the, there are these guys in the church. You pick the guys you can really trust to do these ministries, and yeah. they gradually become more and more insinuated. Yeah. Until finally, you're saying to them, um, uh, you're, we want to ordain you a deacon. Yeah. And actually, I don't know, maybe we mentioned this last time, but this is actually why in the Latin church, the subdeacon went from being a minor order to a major order, because the subdeacon uh, eventually, I think it was around the, the turn of the first millennium. So like 1000, 1100, somewhere in there, where um, the Pope uh, made the subdeacon like qual uh, qualified for ordination to orders or to the to the episcopate. Sorry, that a subdeacon could be called upon to be ordained a bishop. Yeah. So, um, or that I put it this way: that you had to be at least a subdeacon if you're going to be ordained a bishop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. It right? is interesting, right? Right. Like, what would that look like today? You know, like nowadays you basically have to be a priest in order to be ordained a bishop, but that's not always how it was. You have, you have yeah. some people going, there's no diaconate. To, there's no ontological reason besides, right. right? I mean, you have to be baptized. Sure. But yeah. short of that, you could be ordained a deacon. Uh, you could be ordained a bishop from scratch. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, historically, there were cases in which monks were taken out of the monastery who hadn't been, they weren't presbyters, right? Mm -hmm. they, they were just taken out of the monastery and, and elevated to the papacy. Yeah. And, and of course, yeah. they, they were ordained when that happened. Right. But, um, but they didn't start out actually holding orders at all. Right. So I don't remember off the top of my head which guys these were, but I mean, this... Um, Maybe Gregory the First. I don't know yeah, if, he was, if he was Maybe. ordained at all before he was elevated to the papacy. But, yeah. um, but the reason for this, right, is as we talked about the last, I think we talked about this the last time. The real order uh, is the the fullness of orders is the episcopate, right, and it contains all the other orders in it. It's not like a ladder that you have to climb ontologically, and if you don't climb it. Then, then the subsequent order would not be valid. That's only, it's only a juridical decision on the part of the church that we do it this way. But it's not an ontological thing. Christ took the, um, Christ took the disciples from lay, the lay state, I guess, you know. Correct. Uh, or well, the certainly didn't have apostles. any Christian sacramental orders before. Yeah. And he just made them apostles. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think, the better example might just be the apostles ordaining people straight to to the, the episcopacy. Yeah. Which they did. Yeah. So, um, so how does this tie back into 
your your opinion on the distinction between orders minor orders and ministries like is what's the difference between that yeah personally i'm not sure i think you and i you and i may be leaning slightly different directions here my yeah. I'm not sure there is a dis- a difference. Okay. Uh, yeah. But... Well, I'm definitely leaning in the direction that there is. Yeah. Um, my my instinct, and I have to I have to recognize that as my limit, right? That's my instinct because there's no theology on this, as we said. Is that there is a connection between the minor orders and the major orders mm-hmm. uh, of some kind, um, and if if you're going to go with that, then for me, um, if you if you sever the connection between the minor orders and the major orders, um, you also sever the connection with like that added grace function thing, whatever you want to call that, that that goes along with the minor yeah. orders. I guess I would concede though that, and I think we talked about this maybe the last time, that the reception of um minor orders right would be regarded as a sacramental yeah or something like a sacramental. not a sacrament right but it's it's a sacramental now you might say but so is the um you know the installment ritual the installation ritual that's also a sacramental maybe but in the mind of the church right then how do we regard the minister so I might concede this point that the minister himself is a sacramental if he's in minor orders, properly speaking, but, but that the church doesn't express such an intention in um, the conferral of the ministry, right? Do you see what I mean? Um, a sacramental in the sense of being a blessed thing, a person set aside yeah. for the purpose. Uh on the other hand, actually, Paul VI uses the exact language of someone set aside for the purpose. So maybe he does intend that the minister here is seen as a kind of sacramental. Yeah. I would still want to ask and raise the question, and maybe God willing, the church can answer the question, um, of is there, is there a connection with major orders here with these ministries and if so, does that carry a connection with grace at all? Like, yeah, it is the is the subdeacon chanting the epistle in the extraordinary form the same as the lector reading the second reading in the ordinary form? And that's or I want, I'll tease that out a little bit. That's where I would actually want to say no, but question mark. <laughs> like No, but I'm not certain. But only because um, of that connection. Like the subdeacon, if the subdeacon participates in the, sa- in the ministry, the sacramentality <laughs> in some way of the deacon, um, then, and, and the deacon himself, um, you know, has graces attached to the proclamation of the word, which he does, um, then it seems like the subdeacon, as a participant in the diaconal uh, sacrament, would carry that same grace. 
when he preaches the word. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. So let, let me, let me sort of attack this position. Okay. All right. <laughs> here's, here's what I'm look at the logic though, of saying that the deacon um, exercises that the deacon sort of communicates a certain grace through this process. Well, the deacon clearly participates in the ministry of the bishop. He, he is an appendage of the bishop, right? I mean, that the, the bishop lays hands on him yeah. and communicates this power to the deacon, right? Yeah. Um, that is not the case in the relationship between the deacon and the subdeacon, right? Mm-hmm. The deacon doesn't lay hands on the subdeacon and communicate a measure of his own charism. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the bishop lays hands, at least, I, I guess in the minor orders, that, what, was there laying on of hands in the minor orders? I think. I, I don't I know. Think. I could be wrong. But if, if we there was laying on of hands, that's a big deal. Maybe, maybe not, right? Because there's laying on of hands in confirmation too. Right. And we don't say that that communicates. Or you know, it doesn't make you a priest or something. No. So um yeah, so it it there there is ambiguity here. I, I don't it's really it's an interesting topic, actually. And I yeah. think um I mean it, it deserves a lot. It deserves some exploration. Now, maybe you might say it's moot at this point since they don't exist anymore in the Latin rite. But, but um, yeah, but I don't, I think it's just an inherently interesting question. And it's made more interesting and possibly more relevant precisely because of what we're going to talk about next time. Yeah. Which is um, Pope Francis's motu proprio, in which he opens up the ministries of acolyte and lector which we don't seem to have <laughs> but anyway right the ministry even those ministries as we said we don't even we don't we don't experience them right. but whatever he opens them up to women right? right and so he's there the 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 pipeline model right of feeding into orders is clearly um severed yeah it seems to me but yeah yeah, and when, especially when we when we look at Paul the sixth reasoning too on um, on that. I mean, he like we said earlier, he makes pretty explicit mention of of these being um, uh, conferred on all seminarians as candidates for the priesthood. Um, but then his his expressed desire that both only be conferred on men. It's still even in the absence of this sort of like ontological connection with the, the sacrament that I'm proposing um, your, how did we call that? Like uh, final cause kind of. Yeah. It's a final it. cause like, kind of argument. Yeah. Why, what is the reason like the end goal of having these things? Um, yeah. That would still, that would still apply. Yeah. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that this is sort of ancient providence, the connection the connection between, um, you know, the discernment of vocation to the priesthood or, or really actually just getting a call, being called to the priesthood by someone else. Like, hey, you're going to be a priest. Yeah. Uh, the connection oh, between the minor orders and that reality is, yeah. is historically to me very clear. But, um, but now that's just not, 
that's not the case. And yeah. uh, so we'll talk about that next time. Anyway, we've, we've gone probably long enough on this topic today. And uh, so thanks for coming. It was great to talk to you again. And yep. likewise, thank you. And, and we look forward to uh, next time. Yep, absolutely. It's going to be a good conversation. Yep.